0: Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast, Casting Down Idols. This is a podcast where we talk about addiction and recovery from a biblical perspective. I'm your host, Pastor Mike Dixon. I've been clean and sober now for over 30 years, and you can too. The blessed hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ offers you the power you need to change, to be transformed forever. You do not have to stay the way that you are. And so I pray this podcast is a blessing to you. I pray it's an encouragement to you as you continue on this road called recovery. Listen and be blessed. Let's uh, read this text together. Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 1. We'll read the first seven verses. And the Bible says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We're going to stop there this morning, but I'm going to encourage you to bow with me in prayer. Pray for me. Pray with me as we ask the Lord to bless the reading of His Word this morning. Let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, this morning and this time together, I know right now is the most important time as we turn our attention to the Word I pray you'd bless the reading of your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would be ever present with us, God. I I pray that you would cause this word to be a life-changing word, a soul-saving word. I don't want to complicate things. I don't want to be a distraction. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And, Lord, I just pray for what the old-time preachers used to call the unction of the Holy Spirit, that you may anoint me as your mouthpiece one more time on this Lord's Day to proclaim your word, your message, and I pray you'd be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Of course, we know all the Word of God. God is the author of this book. All 66 books making up the canon of Scripture, God is ultimately the author of all the Bible. But God moved human authors to write down His Word. Now, the book of Philippians is a book that God used the Apostle Paul to write. And Paul's writing, he's in a rather unique situation because Paul is imprisoned in Rome. He's writing to the church at Philippi, and the church at Philippi was very close to Paul's heart. In fact, God used Paul to begin this church. You can read about that, I think, over in the book of Acts chapter 16, how God moved Paul to start this church. And so he's writing to the church at Philippi while Paul is a prisoner in Rome. He is a prisoner to Caesar. He's being persecuted for his faith. Uh, He doesn't have too much longer to live this side of glory. He's going to lose his life. He's going to be martyred for his faith. And I believe the apostle Paul knew that that time was drawing close. And so he is in prison in Rome. He's chained and he's shackled. And yet he writes this wonderful letter to the church at Philippi. And he's writing the church at Philippi a couple of things here. First of all, it's a thank you note. He's thanking the believers at Philippi Philippi for supporting him. In fact, when we get to the second chapter in the book of Philippians, we're going to find a man by the name of Epaphroditus Who was from Philippi? Actually, the church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Rome to Paul to bring him a love offering. And so, when we get to the second chapter in the book of Philippians, we're going to see that Paul's saying thank you. And that wasn't the only time the church at Philippi had supported Paul's work, the ministry God had called him to. I mean, there were other occasions where the church at Philippi took up love offerings and supported Paul prayerfully and supported Paul financially. And so, Paul's thanking the church. And the church of Philippi really relatively was a, was a poor church. I mean, they weren't a wealthy church. And yet they gave out of their need in order to support the ministry that God had called Paul to. And so it's a thank you. But it's much more than that. This epistle, this letter to the church of Philippi, mainly, primarily, is a letter of joy. I mean, you find the words joy... And rejoicing all throughout these four chapters and that's rather ironic when you think about the fact that Paul was in prison he's in a stinking dungeon now he's not in a jail like some of our jails today okay he doesn't have a color TV in his cell He doesn't have weight lifting equipment. He doesn't have an exercise bike, okay? He doesn't have all those luxuries that some people that are incarcerated today have. He is in a stinking dungeon, a rat infested dungeon. He no doubt is in stocks and chains. No doubt he's been persecuted. And yet in this dungeon, under the circumstances, he rises above the circumstances. He's not complaining He's not whining. He's not having a pity party. But again, what is the theme of the letter? It's joy. Now, I just think that's amazing. And when I think about the fact where Paul's at and what Paul's going through, it's not because Paul's done something wrong. Paul's done everything right. He has done what God has called him to do, and yet he was persecuted because of it, ended up in prison because of it, and he pins this letter, this, this epistle, as all about joy, rejoicing, and rejoice. And so I've got the joy, joy, joy. Where? Down in my heart. Now some of you, it's so deep down, I don't believe a bulldozer uh, could get to it, it's so deep down. But we ought to have the joy of the Lord flowing in us, flowing through us. And I believe you ought to notify your face if you've got the joy of the Lord in your heart. And so this morning I want to talk about where joy is found. You say, preacher, where can I find this kind of joy? Where well, you're in the right place at the right time, because that's exactly why the opening verses of Philippians deals with where to find this joy. And so you can go through life. I believe God would have us not to be like, uh, not to be like the temperature. I mean, up and down, up and down, up and down. But I believe God would have us as born again believers to face life with a with a steady cruise. I mean, not to be knocked out of the saddle with every little thing that comes our way, uh, but to have a steady perspective on life as we go through this journey in life. Not just in the good times, but even in the bad times. And I believe you can always have the joy of the Lord. Now, joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is determined by your situation, by your circumstances. As long as things are going your way, you can be happy. Okay, But if things aren't going your way, well, you're not going to be happy. Well, the joy of the Lord is not regulated by our situation or our circumstances. The joy of the Lord is within us, and it never leaves us as born-again believers because the joy of the Lord, and I'm going to be preaching about this this morning, is found in a person. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within you, and it's through His person living within our hearts He brings that joy. And so we can face not just good times with joy, but we can face even the most difficult times in life in joy. I mean, if, if Paul is in a prison and still he's talking about joy and he's got the joy of the Lord, what's wrong with you? I mean, you're obviously not in a dungeon. You're not faced with the circumstances and situation that Paul was having to deal with as he wrote this letter. And so I just believe if Paul was able to have joy where he's at and what he's dealing with, we ought to be able to have joy where we are and whatever it is that you're dealing with. So where can this joy be found? Well, you need to make sure, number one, you need to make sure, first of all, there's a change in masters. There's got to be a change in masters. You know, most people live their lives focused on self. And so it's all about what I want. It's all about what I think ought to happen. And so the first time something happens that's not according to the way they think, think, think things ought to happen they're knocked out of the saddle. See Most people are so focused on self, we're not supposed to live our life focused on self. We're supposed to live our life focused on the Lord. We all live our life in such a way to bring Him honor and to bring Him glory and not be full of ourselves. Now, if you go through life and you're so full of yourself, you think it's all about you and it's what you want and the way you think things ought to go, I'm just telling you, you're never going to be able to maintain the joy of the Lord in your life. If you're self-absorbed, self-focused, person. Now you say, preacher, where in the world do you get this point of change of masters? Well, I want you to see right here in the very first verse, as Paul writes, he says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy. It's not just about Paul, even though Paul's writing this. And even though Paul could have said, you know, I'm a great, I'm missionary extraordinaire. And so this is the, just the apostle Paul. No, it's not just about him. He says Paul and Timothy and the reason why it's Paul and Timothy because evidently Timothy is in jail and incarcerated with the Apostle Paul as he writes these words. He says Paul and Timothy. Seminar leader? Is that what it says? Paul and Timothy greatest missionaries who ever lived. Is that that what it says in verse 1? Paul and Timothy, internationally known speakers. No, it says Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now that word servants, I'm using the English Standard Version of the Bible. Some translations put it bond slave, and really that's what that word means. Paul and Timothy bond slaves. You know, if you were a bond slave, that meant you had a master. And so Paul understood it's not about me. It's all about the one who is my master. Paul says, Paul and my, my brother, my friend Timothy, incarcerated here, we've got a new master, and that master is our Lord. Now, uh, having a master is not necessarily a bad thing when you think about it from a spiritual perspective. Because back in biblical days when, uh, when servants or bond slaves, they were in slavery under a master. That master had to meet the needs of that servant or that slave. And so if you had a good master, really, I mean it wasn't up to you to make sure you got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was up to your master. Your master supplied everything that you needed. Clothes on your back, uh, roof over your head food on the table, anything that you needed. You know what I think the Apostle Paul's doing right here is he's in prison, he's remembered. It ain't about me, I've got a new master. And so even though I'm in need and I'm in prison, I'm going to look to my master, God Almighty, to meet my every need. And I'll tell you something else about the master. The master is the one who determined what duties and responsibilities that you have. When you got up in the morning, you didn't ask yourself, now what do I want to do today? No, if you have a master, what you're doing is you're asking the master, Lord, what would you have me do today? You call the shots. I'm not calling the shots. And so you didn't have to get up and try to figure out, let's see, am I supposed to wash the windows? Or am I supposed to break in this yoke of oxen over here? No, the master said, okay, you're going to wash the windows. And you over here, you don't have to worry about washing the windows because you're going to break this yoke of oxen. And so the master was the one who determined what your responsibilities and what your duties were. I thought, you know, that's perfect timing where we are in a church right now, wrapping up one church year, getting ready to begin a brand new church year. You need to be asking yourself, what has God called you to do in the ministry we call Winterville Baptist Church? God's called us all to do something now you need to be diligent trying to figure out Lord what have you called me to do but I believe there's a place of ministry for every single one of us and it's not about really what you want to do it's about what the master wants you to do so Paul says Paul and Timothy bondservants. We're slaves. We've got a master. He's God Almighty. I'm looking to my master for everything that I need. And I'm looking to my master, asking my master what do you want me to do? I want to be obedient to you. And I'll tell you something else about the master. The master not only would call you and give you the responsibility to do what he wanted you to do, but he would give you everything you needed to get the job done. (laughs) Come on now, wake up. He'll give you everything you need to do what he's called you to do. That means I don't step behind this pulpit in my strength and in my power. I'm looking to my master. I'm saying, God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you've called me to preach. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt you've called me to Winneville Baptist Church to be their pastor. And right now, Lord, you're going to have to give me what I need to bring forth this scripture in a way that brings you honor and glory. And let me tell you something. God is always faithful. So maybe God's called you to teach and you're like, you know, I'm just scared to death to teach. Well, that's really not the question. The question is, is the master calling you to do it? Is the master calling you to serve in the nursery? Is the master calling you to serve on one of the committees? Is the master calling you to get involved in our youth ministry, in our children's program? What has God called you to do? God will call you and if God's called you to it, God's going to equip you through it. And you can do it in His power and in His might. And so Paul starts this letter off. This letter is all about joy. And he wants to make it clear. We've got a change of masters. We're not, we're not our own master. We're looking to God. God's the one who calls the shots. And God's going to give us everything that we need to do what God has called us to do. So why should I worry? Why should I fret? I've got a God who's never failed me yet. Amen. Now a change of masters. Now first thing I want to say about this point is there's a new master. I'm thankful for the amens too. Please keep them coming. That means so be it. All right? Now if I'm up here saying my back hurts or my jaw's aching, please don't say amen. But you know, we don't want that to be that way. But if you agree with me, it's all right to say amen. Now Paul writes and he says, We've got a change of masters. It's Paul and Timothy. We're bond servants, we're slaves to the Lord. They've got a new master. And that new master is going to take care of them. That new master is going to call them. And that new master is going to equip them. Now I'll give you an example. The Bible says we're supposed to fight against the devil. Well, how on earth am I going to fight against the devil? God's told me in Ephesians chapter 6, He's given me a shield. He's given me a sword. He's given me a belt of truth. He's given me shoes. Now, where am I getting this armor from? I'm not getting it from man. I'm getting it from the master. Why? Because the master is the one who called me, and the master is the one who's equipped me. I thought about little David as God called him to go and fight against Goliath. Do you remember that story, Goliath? Remember how King Saul tried to give David his his armor? He handed him his helmet, and and David tried to to fit that helmet on. That helmet was way too big. He couldn't wear that helmet. King Saul said, well, take my shield, man. He couldn't even pick that shield up. He said, well, at least take my sword. David couldn't handle that sword. He's just a young fellow. That sword was too heavy. We don't look to the world for what we need to do what God's called us to do. We look to the master. And what God tell David, you don't need what the world offers. You don't need what King Saul has to give you. You need what I have to give you. And I'm giving you five stones in a slingshot. And I want you to take those five stones in a slingshot and you're going to face that giant. And David, you're not even going to have to get close enough to him to smell his bad breath. We're going to kill him long distance. I just want you to stand back. I want you to put a stone in in that slingshot and I want you to give it a swirl. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit of God was all over that rock. I believe David could have shot the rock straight up and it still would have ended up right smack dab in the middle of the head of Goliath. Well, I believe when he let that stone go, I believe God was all over that stone. So much so, if it came across a jackrabbit that God didn't want to kill, it would have gone around him. It would have gone over stuff. And where would he end up smack dab where God wanted to end up on the forehead of that giant. And God defeated him using a little boy because God's power, God's might was all over that little fella. See, he didn't get anything from the world to help him conquer that that battle. God gave him everything that he needed. God will give you everything you need. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. I tell you, Timothy and Paul were good friends. Paul felt like the spiritual father to Timothy. I mean, they were close. In fact, I thought about the last chapter in 2 Timothy where Paul was in prison on another occasion and Paul wrote and he said, Send Timothy to bring my coat, to bring my Bible, and to bring my books. He's my friend. Timothy was Paul's friend. Isn't it a blessing to have friends? Say, Preacher, I wish I had a friend. Well, you know what the Bible says? Be a friend. Be a friend. I mean, you got to be friendly. You don't have any friends. Well, maybe you need to do a checkup and say, Am I friendly enough? I mean, if you want friends. And so Paul and Timothy, they were a blessing to one another. And young Timothy was such a blessing to Paul. And I know the Apostle Paul was such a blessing to Timothy. Look at what he says here. To all the saints. Paul and Timothy, bond servants, bond slaves to all the saints. He's writing to the church at Philippi. Now, Paul doesn't have a word of criticism for the church at Philippi. It's all about joy and it's all about encouragement in this letter. But I'm going to tell you something. I pastor church is long enough, 30 years next month will be exactly 30 years of full-time ministry for Melissa and I. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, as good as the church at Philippi was, they were not perfect. And so Paul's not writing a letter to the church. He's saying to the saints and to so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so who were always giving me a hard time when I was in Philippi. He's not doing that. He's not writing this letter saying to some of you, and you know who you are, and I'm excluding the rest of you, and you know who you are. Paul's not writing the letter like that. He's saying to all the saints. And so he's calling them all saints. Either you're a saint or you ain't. Now, I know a lot of us, when we think about a saint, we think about some statue somewhere to some kind of person, some kind of saint that died ages ago. And we've got uh, circles of faith today and whole buildings of faith today that are full of people that believe it's all about praying to some saint. We got people riding around with little figurines of some kind of saint of travel or whatever on their dashboard, and they're wearing an a emblem about a saint around their neck. Listen, the Bible, when it talks about saints, it's not talking about somebody who's a little bit more elevated than you and I. It's talking about you, and it's talking about me. Now, I don't always feel like a saint, and you can say, I don't always feel like a saint, but the Bible says either you're a saint or you ain't. Either you belong to the Lord or you don't belong to the Lord. And so in Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, even even though they had their share of carpet griping, bent out of shape, whiny uh, folks just like every church does. He recognizes, he looks past that. He recognizes you're still a saint. Now, I just think that's beautiful. Because if you're ever going to be able to live your life in the joy of the Lord, you've got to get your focus off yourself. And you know what the problem is with some of you? Some of you are so down in the mouth, so discouraged, so depressed, And you're so focused on yourself, so you're always focused on somebody who's down in the mouth because you're focused on yourself. And so what does that do for you? It doesn't lift you up. It makes you more miserable. I mean, Lord, have mercy. Some of you being around, some of you makes me miserable. And so you got to get your focus off yourself. Get it on the Lord. Somebody has said J-O-Y stands for Jesus first, others second, and then yourself third, J-O-Y. I believe you got to have those three things in the right order but you're never gonna have the joy of the Lord as a constant companion in your life if all you're doing is being critical and trying to find in other people what you don't like none of us are perfect you're not always gonna agree with me I'm not always gonna agree with you but we love one another anyways And we know and we understand we're all saints, not because of our works and our goodness, but we're all saints by grace through faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so Paul's writing and he says he's writing to all the saints. You know what? His outlook has changed. He says, all I see are saints. Now that Greek word that's translated saints in our English Bible is from a word that we get our word sanctification from. And it's actually a word that means to be separated, to be separated, set apart. And so as we're called saints, that just reminds us we are set apart. We're set apart from the world, and we're set apart unto God. He is our master. We are His servant. And sanctification is a practical everyday process where the Holy Spirit is getting out of us anything that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ. So you're a saint. So you know what Pastor Mike would say this morning? Since you're a saint, how about acting like a saint? I mean, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we had somebody who was a wealthy, just had all the wealth, had a million dollars in the bank, you know? million dollars in the bank, and yet they they live their lives like a pauper, like somebody who was penniless. I mean, wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't it be terrible to have a grown adult who spent their life acting like an itty-bitty little baby? The Bible says that you're a saint. The Bible says that I'm a saint because we've trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So all I'm saying is if you're an American, act like an American. If you're a man, act like a man. If you're a woman, act like a woman. And if you're a saint, how about acting like you're a saint? Amen? How about living that out in your everyday life? There ought to be evidence of the fact that you've been born again. And so Paul's got a, a new master. He's got a new, new uh, outlook. His outlook has changed. He's not looking for the critical things in other people anymore. He recognizes they're all saints. And let me tell you something else he's got. He's got a new interest. He's got a new interest. Earthly things are not as interesting to Paul anymore now that he's got a new master, a change of masters. He's got a new set of interests. I see it in verse 2. He says, grace to you and peace. Now grace was more or less a western greeting and peace was more or less an eastern greeting. And so I think this is interesting here because in Christ he brings the east and the west together, right? He brings all people together through faith in Him. He says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, He knows what they need, grace and peace. And also He tells us who has it. He says, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, hey, I need some grace and peace too, don't you? And so we get grace and peace from a person. That's the person of the Holy Spirit of God who is the third person in the Blessed Trinity the joy of the lord comes as a result of that there's got to be a change of masters there's a new master there's a new outlook there's a new interest i want grace and peace in my life i want grace and peace in your life and paul's in the in prison he's writing this letter and it's not doom and gloom and why am I in this situation and poor old me. But man, he's singing praises. He's shouting the glory. It's hallelujah time. Even though he said he's as happy sitting in prison as he would have been sitting on a bass boat reeling them in as quickly as you can throw the line out you say preacher how do you know he was so happy because I get a picture of what Paul would do in prison in the book of Acts when the Bible says that Paul and Silas were thrown in prison remember they were beaten and they were put in stocks in Philippi in the same place he's writing this letter to in Philippi and the Bible says he's not got the melly grubs he's not got a face so long looks like he could suck marbles out of a gopher hole no ma'am no sir even sitting in a Philippian prison he's bringing glory to God the Bible Bible says they're singing praises. They're praying. They're giving glory to the Lord. Even the jailer gets saved and every prisoner on in that prison heard Paul and Silas singing. So I see in Acts how Paul would act in prison. So he's shouting the glory down. He's rejoicing in the joy of the Lord. I've got the joy, joy, joy Down in my heart. You know, maybe Paul and Silas are sitting there, and Paul starts singing, I've got the joy, 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 and it looks at Silas. He says, all right, Silas, sing the back up. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Maybe that's what they're doing in that prison. I don't know, but I'm telling you, in that stinking, dirty, dark prison, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this man who rises above his circumstances brightens up the whole place. I mean, it don't even smell like a stinking prison anymore because the rose of Sharon is all over this man with the joy of the Lord. So you don't have to be under your circumstances. You hear me, church? You need to get this. Now, I started to sing about six six times that first song that we started with this morning, but I let it go at one. But just kind of be on guard as we move forward in this series together. Reputation. You learn by reputation, right? I got to tell you more times than one. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Now, number two, not only must there be a change of masters, but number two, there needs to be a concern for others. I've said a little bit about this already. I won't spend a great deal of time on this second point. But you're never going to have the joy of the Lord if you go through your life thinking it's all about you. And all you're focused on is you. And what you can get out of life. I mean, you're going to be absolutely miserable. You know what I found in in walking with the Lord these over 30 years now in my Christian life? I found that the most joyful people are the giving people. Givers are happy. Givers are joyful. It's those who are stingy and selfish. Why is that? Because it's self-focused. See what I'm talking about? You you can't be self-focused. You've got to have more of a concern for those around you. Look at verse 3. Paul writes in verse 3 and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Precious memories, how they linger, right? Paul's got some great memories of the church at Philippi. And he's cherishing those memories as he writes this letter to the church there. He's saying, you know what? We're one in the bond of love. He's not thinking about the rats that are running across his feet. He's not thinking about those uh, Madagascar cockroaches climbing up the, the walls of the jail. He's not thinking about those things. He's not thinking about what's waiting for him. Is they're sharpening the blade outside, and maybe, uh, you know, he's getting ready to get martyred, and he knows his time is short. He's not thinking about those things. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's got others on his heart. Now, look at the rest of verse 4. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. You know, if I'd been Paul, probably you too, if you were honest with me, I'd be praying, Lord, get me out of here. I don't belong in this jail. I don't belong in this dungeon. Lord, deliver me. Uh, Give me a miracle like Simon Peter got. Lord, that that, the door just fly open like you did in Philippi. Lord, get us out of this. I've been praying all about me, Lord. It's all about me. No, Paul's not doing that. He's got more of a concern for those around him, those at Philippi. He says, always in every prayer of mine. I'm praying for you. And he's doing it in joy, overflowing with joy. You know, if Paul could do that, why can't we? I mean, what we do a lot of times is we forget who we are in Christ. And a lot of times we forget what God's done in our lives. I mean, can't you, don't you remember? I mean, go, go way, 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 way back when you didn't have any children. You asked God to give you a baby and God gave you that little baby. Don't you remember how it felt when you're sitting there and you're holding that precious little baby? The joy of the Lord. Don't you remember what it was like when your spouse was diagnosed with cancer and they had to go through that surgery and they had to go through those treatments. And then you'll never forget when you're sitting in the waiting room and the surgeon came out and he pulled that mask down and he looked at you. He said, once we got in there. It wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. I thought he had six months to live. He's probably going to live another 60 years. Don't you remember the joy that welled up in you because of answered prayer and what God did for you. Don't you remember what it was like when you got that phone call from your daughter saying, I just accepted Christ as my Savior. Or you got that call from your son who's lived his whole life as a hellion for the devil and he's accepted Christ as a Savior. Don't you remember that? See, I'm talking about don't forget what God's done for you. Don't forget who you are in Christ Jesus even right now. You know, we're on a journey headed to heaven, not headed to hell. So he's got these folks on his mind. He's thinking about the people at Philippi. Look at uh, verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership translated right here in verse 5 is from a Greek word that means a joint participation in a common interest or activity. In other words, Paul's writing to the believers of Philippi and he's saying we're in agreement. We're in this together. Now I know what what the heartbeat of Paul was. It was to win souls. And so guess what the folks of Philippi were all about? They were all about winning souls. And so as Paul writes, he says we're in this together. We're in one accord. We're in agreement here. We're in a joint participation in a common interest and that is to reach the world for Christ. You want a blessing, you say, man, I wish I could have the joy. Reach out to somebody else this afternoon to bless them. I mean, I know with COVID and everything that we're still dealing with, you can't necessarily just walk into a nursing home and go visit somebody. But let me tell you what you can do. You can sit down at the table this afternoon, and you can write out an encouraging note to somebody who needs some encouragement. You can send out some get well cards. You can pick up the phone. You can call somebody. You can drop somebody an email. Somebody just needs to know that you love them and you care about them and you're praying for them. Those are things that we can do. So I'm saying not being focused on ourselves but being more focused on others, that's key to having the joy of the Lord as a constant in your lives. I mean, it ought to be something in our lives that overflows on everybody we come in contact with. Like high karate aftershave i got to tell you this little story when I was about 13, 14 years old. um, I had a full-faced beard before I ever got to junior high school. And uh, so my granddaddy, I worked with my granddaddy. He was a farmer. So one day my granddaddy went and he bought me a gift. I was only like 13 years old. And the gift was my first razor, a can of shaving cream, and a bottle of high karate aftershave. I'll never forget it. And I went home and I shaved. Nobody told me how much of that high karate aftershave I was supposed to put on so, I probably put half the bottle on. I mean, I shaved best I could, man. I splashed that high all over me. And that afternoon, I had a Boy Scout meeting, or Weblos, I think, actually, Weblos. And we went to the church. That's where our troop met. And I'll never forget when I walked into that fellowship hall, everybody all of a sudden just stopped talking. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking at me doing that. I'm like, what in the world? Let me tell you, the joy of the Lord ought to be like that. I mean, it ought to get all over people we come in contact with. It's not something that we hold down deep inside and we don't let show. It's something that ought to be running over in our lives. Now, according to Galatians chapter 5, the joy of the Lord is the second fruit of the Spirit. Number one is love. Number two is joy, the joy of the Lord. And so I get that joy from a person, and that person is my Lord Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me as a born again believer. And with that joy, I'm going to have a concern for others. A concern for others. Number three, not only a change of masters, not only a concern for others, but number three, there's got to be a confidence in God. A confidence in God. You know, I can think about three weeds this morning that will choke out joy in your life. One of them is stress. Stress will certainly choke out the joy. You know, I've had my share of stress lately. If you're not careful, that weed of stress will spring up and choke your joy. I think about fear. Fear is another weed that can spring up and it can steal your joy. I think about worry. So worry will kill joy. Stress will kill joy. And fear will kill joy. And so where can I get the weed killer to kill those three weeds, right? Okay, that's the question I'm asking right now. Where do I get the weed killer that I need? Look at verse 6. Paul says, and I am sure of this. This is one thing Paul was absolutely certain of. He says in verse 6, I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what does it mean, began a good work? It's talking about the fact that the Lord began the work of salvation in you. Since he began it, guess who's in charge of finishing it? He is. So not only did he get you saved, but he's going to keep you saved. And in between time, he's going to give you everything you need to grow in your faith until you stand before the Lord and it is finished. So I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Well, how can I have this joy? A change of masters, a concern for others, a confidence in God. Whatever He starts, He's going to finish. So there's blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, okay? It's not up to you, it's all up to Him. He's going to be faithful to carry us through. He's always faithful in that. And one day we're going to stand before Him in glory, in glorified bodies. God started it. God's going to finish it. He's got everything you need in between those two points. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I heard a story. I'm going to close with this. A couple was walking down the road one day, and they were talking about a woman named Mary. And Mary just evidently was one of these radiant ladies. I mean, just glowing, just shining with the presence of the Lord. Uh, I mean, joy in her life was like that high karate on me when I was 13 years old. When she got around people, people knew she had the joy of the Lord in her. So they were talking about Mary talking about what was it that caused Mary to be so radiant. And they came along a river bend as they were walking through the woods. And they looked right across the river, and there was this big, humongous, beautiful castle sitting up on a hill. And one of the men said, when I was a little boy, I used to walk this way, and I used to sit here on this side of the river. And I'd look across the river. I'd look at that castle sitting up there on the hill. And he said, I would look at all the lights lit up. And he said, I could always tell what was going on in the castle by the number of lights that were lit up. He said if there weren't many people in the castle, there would be just two or three lights on. If they had a guest company in the castle, where there'd be a few more lights on. But he said, I'll never forget when I saw that castle. All lit up in its glory. It was when there was a member of the royal family that came to visit that family that lived in the castle. He said, I'll never forget. I sat there and I just gazed at that majestic castle. All lit up. Every room radiating. And they said, you know what? That's the way it is with Mary. Ever since a royal guest came to dwell within her heart, every light is on. Man, she radiates with the glory of the Lord. Why? Because of the presence of the King that lives within. Now we're going to close our Bibles and we're going to bow our heads. I want to pray with you. We're going to stand and sing. In just a moment, I'm going to give an invitation. But right now we're going to bow in prayer. Just simply ask the Lord to do what only He can do. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, on this Lord's Day, we thank You for the blessing to be able to sit under the the reading, the preaching of Your Word. I thank You, Lord, for the blessing You've given me just to stand in this sacred place, Lord, Uh, not in my strength. Lord, I I can't preach a sermon. I don't even know where to begin, Lord. I'm totally reliant upon you, and, and God, I thank you for always being faithful. Not just to me, but to every person. All the saints here at Winneville Baptist Church, you're always faithful. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, that's so much more than we can say for ourselves as we're honest. Lord, forgive us for our shortcomings and our failures. And I believe right now, even in this process of sanctification, Lord, there's, there's things in our lives that you still want to get out. There's things that don't look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, act like Jesus. Lord, conform us into the image of your Son. And maybe right now somebody just feels like, you know, I just need to go up. I need to go up to the altar. And maybe it's just between them and you. But, Lord, maybe there's something they need to repent of. They need to confess. They need to get behind them. Lord, maybe somebody needs to come for the very first time. They need to say, I need to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe somebody listening by way of the Internet. Lord, I know it's not about walking and out. Certainly not about sitting in a pew. Lord, they can open their heart to you right where they are. Maybe somebody for the very first time would say, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe he died for me. He rose again. Lord Jesus, save my soul. You promised in your word. If we'll do that, anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll forgive us of our sins, but, Lord, that's just the beginning of the Christian life. You've called us, Lord, to a task. And I pray for this local body of believers that we'll be diligent to do what you've called us to do. Put aside our disagreements, Lord, and put aside those things that maybe uh, we're not always going to see eye to eye on, Lord to be united in this bond, to know that we're all saints in your family, brothers and sisters in Christ, and, Lord, to push ahead. I believe in the greatest period of time that Winneville Baptist Church has ever seen lies, lies ahead of us. So, Lord, as you've already spoken, I pray that we'll see a move of God in this place. I, I pray we'll see a move of God across the Internet, maybe around the world, Lord, as we go out by way of live stream. Save souls. I pray, Lord God, that you might heal bodies. I pray that you might clarify clouded thinking and mental illness that, Lord, you'd bring healing where healing needs to happen. Give us the measure of faith that we need, Lord, to respond to you and what you've called us to do. Help us to be faithful to you, Lord. Help us right now, Lord, on this Lord's Day to surrender everything to you, maybe for the very first time or maybe all over again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. I surrender all is our hymn of invitation. As we stand, the altar's open. If you need to come, the altar's open. I'll be glad to speak with you. Maybe you got a decision you need to make public. You come right now as we sing. Yes, Lord. Does anybody need to respond on this Lord's Day? Yes, Lord, I love and trust you. come right now. we got a baptismal service coming up. Maybe you need to be included. You come right now. Yes, Lord, I belong to you. I'm your bond slave, Lord. Anybody need to come? Anybody else need to respond? be the last verse. All to Jesus I surrender. Does anybody need to respond? Anybody need to come? Last call this morning. Don't hesitate. Don't linger. Yes, Lord. Let your blessings